Good morning and peace be with you, my friends. There's an old worship song that I learned years ago that rings in my ears when I read or hear the words from our first reading this morning. It's called Holy Ground, and with some fear and trembling in my heart, I'd like to sing the chorus for you this morning. This is holy ground, we're standing on holy ground, for the Lord is present, and where He is, is holy. This is holy ground, we're standing on holy ground. For the Lord is present, and where He is, is holy. It's a lovely tune that endears one to a sort of intimacy between Creator and creation. And when sung within a gathering of a large group of people, like the church, the tune tends to break down walls and barriers, allowing intimacy to grow between each other. If we seek intimacy with God, where might we humans find this space referred to as holy ground? And when we arrive on this holy ground, what does it mean for us to stand within that holy space? Well, in various religions of the world, holy space or holy ground is pretty well defined as being located in a temple setting or a garden or in some type of pilgrimage site in places around the world. For instance, in Islam, the Dome of the Rock, located on what was the site of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, stands today as the place where the Islamic peoples of the world make pilgrimage to meet with Allah. For those of the Hindu and Buddhist persuasion, temples or some type of shrine have been built all over the world so that adherence to the Buddha or Krishna may enter and meet with their god or gods. And for practitioners of yoga, sometimes holy space is seen as their 72 by 30 inch yoga mat. But for Christians, for those who worship the God of heaven, meaning the God who is above all other gods, holy space or holy ground is found where two or three have gathered together in his name. Of course, his name means those who have gathered together in the name of Jesus. This concept of holy ground or holy space then within Christianity is located or found when and where human beings drawn together by the Holy Spirit of the living God come together to live, work, worship, and play. And this concept is totally different, totally other than any other faith group, any other religion in the world. So as we see in faith groups other than Christianity, holy ground or holy space is where the gods of those various faith groups are waiting to be appeased or waiting for the human to reach a level of inner peace so that they, the humans, may be worthy enough then to join with the gods in a temple or shrine. However, the hound of heaven, the god of the Genesis creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has always desired to come from heaven to live, to dwell with us, God's creation here on earth. What does it mean then when we as Christians find ourselves in this holy space or standing on this holy ground? 
Should we then feel all warm and fuzzy inside because of this intimate relationship? Or should we fall down on our knees in fear and awe as we stand before this God who is totally other than we are? May I suggest that our first reading this morning from the book of Exodus offers us some insights and some answers as to what it means to stand on holy ground. Moses, now most of us remember or heard of Moses at some point in our daily lives. Moses was made famous once by the actor Charlton Heston in the Cecil B. DeMille movie, The Ten Commandments. I know that that movie is older than I am, but it still gets views today. Moses was born to a Hebrew slave in bondage in Egypt. Then at three months old, in an effort to protect him from the Egyptian order to drown every Hebrew child, he is released in a basket and sent down a river and then rescued by a daughter of Pharaoh. That daughter of Pharaoh raises Moses to adulthood in her home. Moses becomes then somewhat of a figure of royalty. We may refer to him as of elite status. Moses was used to getting his way, used to getting his wants and desires filled. Moses was not one who was used to coming under authority, but one who was used to being in authority. One who owned slaves, yet truly was born into slavery. Thinking that he was above the law and not within the law, Moses gets into a bit of trouble when he murders then buries the body of an Egyptian who Moses witnessed harming a Hebrew slave. When word gets out as to what Moses has done, he runs away to the east, running away from a life of luxury and advantage. In fact, then he runs into the desert and into a life of constant sun, wind, hardship, and homelessness. More to the point, he runs into a time of trial and testing from the God of the Hebrews. Moses is roughed up a bit by the desert. He has some of the barnacles of his character removed, rubbed smooth so that his spirit may be receptive to meeting with the God of heaven. Having endured years then in the desert, years in this refining period, Moses is invited into the presence of the living God. An angel of the Lord is sent and then appears to Moses in a flame of fire out of a blazing bush. Yet somehow the bush was not consumed in the fire. Consider this then. The bush is on fire, yet it is not burned up. But in fact, its brilliance only gets brighter. And so as we draw closer to God, like the bush on fire, but is not consumed, God's desire is for our lives to grow in brilliance, yet not to be consumed into ashes. Moses then, somewhat in his audacity, somewhat in his curiosity, says to himself, I got to go see this. How is it that this bush is not burned up? Then an amazing thing happens in the spiritual life of Moses. When the Lord sees that Moses has turned aside, God actually calls out from the bush, Moses, Moses. Notice the second truly amazing thing and solitary thing that in all of the sacred scriptures then happens. The God of heaven knows Moses by his name. No deist God of the Enlightenment knows you nor calls you by name. 
The God of Islam neither knows you nor calls you by name. No Buddhist or Hindu God knows you or calls you by name. Yet the God of heaven, the God of creation, knows and calls Moses by his name. Do you know that God, our God, knows and calls you by name? In fact, as Aquinas has said, God is closer to me than I am to myself. How can that be, you ask? How can this God of heaven be closer to me than I am to myself? Because God is right here, right now. After the creation story in Genesis, God did not depart from this world and take off, leaving us alone. Oh, no. God, our God, remained here continually involved in the restoring of creation from a fallen condition and back to that of a right relationship between creator and creation. Jesus said, every hair of your head is counted. That is how intimately you and I are known by the God of heaven. Now, here comes the really interesting and amazing part of this story. In calling Moses to himself, as Moses approaches God, God tells Moses to take off your sandals, for you are on holy ground. In other words, Moses is told to slow down. Don't come running up here like you own this space, Moses. No, this space where I am is holy ground. It is somewhat of a mystery how God calls us by name, knows us intimately, yet as totally other, totally different, totally transcendent from creation, we need to enter into God's space with our sandals placed to the side. Now why? Not only by taking our shoes off do we show respect, but in taking our sandals into the, off in the desert, we become vulnerable and at risk. We no longer stand in our own space, we are standing in God's space. By taking our sandals off in the desert, we relinquish our safety and place, our well-being, into the hands of God. The desert is designed to kill. Almost everything from cactus to spiky plants to crawling animals are designed to harm you. Taking off one's sandals means then that one is rather vulnerable having to slow down and having to ultimately give up control of the space we find ourselves in to God. When Moses comes into the presence of God, not only should he be respectful, but Moses finds himself no longer in control. And therefore, when we come into the presence of the living God, yes, we come in a, in a respectful manner, but we must also realize we are no longer in control of the situation and we must bow down and adhere to the spirit of the living God which surrounds us. This is holy ground. This then is truly holy space. It is reverent space, yes, but it is also God's space, God-owned. It is space in which we are consumed by the fire, yet not burned up. The God of heaven is both closer to me than I am to myself and is also greater than anything I could ever imagine. This is holy ground. This is holy space where the God of heaven is. Take off your sandals in respect, but also give up control of the situation. 
For our Sunday school class this Lenten season, some of us have been reading from C.S. Lewis's work on Narnia. We started out with the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe and have moved on to the magician's nephew. In these readings, Lewis introduces us to the Christ figure, a lion by the name of Aslan. Aslan is found to be very intimate with those he meets, very loving and kind. Yet Aslan is somewhat other than those who meet him, more to be feared and awed than to be snuggled up to like a teddy bear. Lewis seems to be saying to us that, yes, God does know us better than we know ourselves, and that God is greater than anything we could ever imagine. Therefore, we should draw close to this God, yet be in awe and fear of who God is. Every time in the Bible when one is called, when one is given a mission, thus as Moses is called to come next to this brilliant light of the burning bush, so he is given the mission to be sent to Pharaoh given the mission to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Here, once again, we see how the God of heaven is so much different than the gods of other religions. For God, our God, from the beginning, involves human beings in the restoration of God's creation. Despite the fact that we are humans, are the reason that evil has entered into creation, God still loves us so much that he involves us in the story. As followers of the living God, we become the bearers of the promise, the proclaimers of the good news, while all, all along remaining the position of being the cause of the problem. God does not leave us to our own devices, however. No, God comes close to us, empowering us to be God's light in the world. What was true then of Moses is now true for us. Those whom God calls by name, is known, who, is, who are known by God by name, are now sent on mission into the world. When Moses realizes that God is sending him back to Egypt to bring the people of God out of bondage, Moses asks of this burning bush, uh, Excuse me, if the Egyptians ask me what your name is, what shall I tell them? For Moses knew that in Egypt there were already many known gods. There was the river god, the sun god, the rain god, the all-weather god, there were the gods of the gnats, the flies, and the locusts, and they all had a name. So Moses asked, tell me then your name. Are you the god of the burning bush? Are you the no-sandal god? Obviously, you are some type of god. What is your name? I have a friend who, when we go fishing together on the Kenai River, and drops of liquid sunshine begin to fall upon us, my friend would call out loudly, the rain god is a punk. My friends, our god, the god of heaven, is no petty deity. To be god is simply to be. God answers Moses, tell them, I am who I am. This, then, is holy ground, my friends. Where God is present, we stand on holy ground. Holy ground is not in a building. Holy ground is where God is. When the people of God gather then in a space, the space becomes holy. 
Therefore, right here, right now, we stand on holy ground. As Jesus said, when two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We stand on holy ground. Come draw close to the living God of heaven, the great I am. Come close to the burning bush to be set aflame in the fire of God's, yet not consumed in his anger, but absorbed in God's love. God wants to set you ablaze with love, allowing his radiance to become even more brilliant in your life. Amen.